Chris, thanks for, for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, for people that don't know you, uh, Chris Gimmer, you are the co-founder of Snappa, which I'm sure, well, I'll actually get you to uh, explain a little bit as we go. But I actually okay. did a, a roundtable-ish podcast of the uh, last night around the subject of using Bitcoin as reserve asset. And um, the MicroStrategy News kind of was a big atom bomb in the space. Um, and like I said last night, kind of advanced the timeline in a lot of people's minds of not only companies using Bitcoin as a reserve asset, but doing so on the scale that they did, you know, an allocation of 50 plus percent of, of ca uh, you know, of, of cash reserves rather than one to 5%. And so this is an emerging story. I think it's like, it's happening faster than uh, we anticipated. But what's interesting is that a lot of small businesses um, who people might presume have less ability to put their, their cash reserves at risk, are starting to do this as well. And uh, you put out a really phenomenal piece, um, I think a week or two ago, um, giving your reasoning for using Bitcoin as a reserve asset in your company. Um, I, you know, we're definitely going to dig into that, but it was extremely well received. And um, yeah, I just thought it would be fun to connect one-on-one -on -one with you and, and dig into a little bit to the decision-making and, um, you know, how you've been managing it. So, uh, looking forward to doing that. But before we do that, why don't you give the, the proper intro to yourself and the company? Yeah, so um, basically Snappa is an uh, online graphic design tool that helps non-designers create graphics. Um, so it, it's, it's more geared towards uh, marketing type graphics um, because there's a lot of people that are doing stuff on social media, uh, content marketing and that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, I, I used to write a lot of uh, blog posts for uh, a previous business and, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's pretty inefficient to either contract out to, uh, other graphic designers or use, you know, more complicated tools like Photoshop. Uh, so we just tried to create a very easy to use, very quick, uh, tool so that people can create these graphics, uh, themselves. And when was that founded? So we officially launched it uh, in November of 2015. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how's it been going? Uh, it's been going well. Um, so we, we bootstrapped the company, um, my co-founder Mark and I. Um, and right now we're uh, up to seven. Um, and we recently crossed uh, 1.5 million in annual recurring revenue. Uh, it's in US dollars. So from um, the standpoint of a, of a self-funded bootstrap company, uh, we're, we're pretty happy with, with how, how it's gone. Cool. Congratulations, man. That's, that's great. Thank you. Um, and so what was your, before we get into the company's approach uh, to Bitcoin, what, what's your rabbit hole story for Bitcoin? Yeah. So uh, I first heard about Bitcoin in, in 2017 um, before like really big run up. And uh, so I, I bought a little bit without really understanding that much. Um, and then it ended up, you know, <laughs> crashing and going through a bear market. And at that point, like I just, I didn't um, put in the time necessary to really understand it. Um, there was all the FUD of, oh, well, Bitcoin's the first one and there's faster and, and better blockchains out there and that kind of stuff. And the other thing too, um, at that time was, you know, we were really focused on, on growing the business. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of my, my energy was. And I was also, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm also pretty interested in, in the, the stock market and stuff like that too. So I was naturally, um, you know, l looking at investing in companies and stuff like that. And Bitcoin is just so different, right? Because, you know, the classic Warren Buffett, knock against Bitcoin is like, there's no cash flow. Uh, it can't pay you dividend and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So fast forward to uh, probably 2019. And uh, I started hearing Preston Pish um, talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> and so I was scratching my head a little bit. I was like, how can a hardcore value investor be uh, shilling Bitcoin right now? And that really caused me to take a, a second look at it. And, um, you know, everything he was saying kind of started to make sense. And then that's really when I started falling down the rabbit hole because, you know, I, I trust a guy like Preston to, you know, not put so, so much money in, in, into something that just doesn't make sense. So I read, you know, I read the Bitcoin standard. I read the bullish case for Bitcoin, um, you know, started listening to a lot of podcasts 
and everything just just really started clicking. Um, so I personally started um, accumulating uh, probably like the end of 2019, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was kind of my personal journey into Bitcoin. It's funny, man. Uh, you know, I've been listening to Preston for a while. And, you know, earlier when he emerged on the kind of the Bitcoin podcast scene, and of course, he, he had been doing his own stuff on uh, the Investor podcast for a while. Um, you know, he was like a little bit more conservative, like he was absolutely um, into Bitcoin and he saw the value in it. But, you know, he was kind of like uh, approaching it as you would expect someone who like was a value investor and had a lot of other investing knowledge and looked at kind of the whole universe of investing. Yeah. And like with each passing month and especially in 2020, like he's he's just gone full bull, you know, yeah. and, and I feel like um, that's, that's probably brought in a lot of, a lot of people. Cause one, he has a big audience and two, he articulates himself so well, and he has such a breadth and depth of knowledge of investing. And he, he's not bullish without being able to rationalize his position. And I think that's, uh, what is sometimes lacking, even in people like myself, you know, I, we, we get into overly enthusiastic and we kind of forget that, um, we may gloss over things and we, and our enthusiasm may cause us to not adequately empathize with the the perspective of people that aren't fully orange pilled yet, you know, and that yeah. they don't fully get it. And, and so I appreciate his approach and uh, I, I love uh, what he's been saying this year on it. And I, I think it's probably had a big, big impact on everything that's going on. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many texts to Bitcoin and, you know, my foray into it was purely from the investment standpoint. And then, um, and then I, I've grown to really appreciate all the other things like, you know, censorship resistance, um, you know, being able to manage your own private keys. You know, we, we run a, a software company. So if, you know, a disaster situation come, comes where, um, you know, I, I need to get out of here and, and uh, Canada kind of loses its way and, and I'm kind of unfortunately starting to see signs of that already mm. um the, the fact that i can just hop on a plane and transport all of my wealth with me um it, it is just it's um it, it, it's crazy to think that you can do that whereas before it, it just wasn't possible um and so i think one of the the important things when when pitching bitcoin is is to really your uh your pitch to um you know what what the other person values um because you're not going to get it right away. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I think I said in the post, like I've hours into, you know, reading books, blog posts, podcasts. Um, and it really did, does take a, a long time to kind of wrap your head around all of the elements uh, that, that, you know, encapsulates, uh, encapsulates Bitcoin. Um, so I think, you know, Preston ha- has done a really good job of, you know, people that are purely looking at it from an investment standpoint really articulated why, why it makes sense to own some. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, you mentioned people like Buffett who kind of always uh, shit on gold and, you know, a lot of people in the investment world were of the same mind and, you know, gold was kind of seen as like the disaster scenario, you know, option. And if you didn't think the world was going to come to an end, if you didn't think the economy was going to collapse then why the hell would you own it pretty much? And um, I think as much as I, as much as it's difficult for me to empathize with people that, let's use the the quintessential kind of, I hate to say it, but village idiot and Peter Schiff, right? Like someone (laughs) whose whole career has been about hard money, right? And and looking at uh, the financial world, the investment world, the economic world and not being able to see it, like the only saving grace that I can muster is that if we're correct about what this is, then it's a once in a three, four, five thousand year sort of shift in what the primary mechanism that humans use for money. And, uh, you know, most people aren't equipped to see that when it emerges, you know, because there's obviously no precedent uh, that anybody not only has ever lived through, but has ever, ever even studied, you know? And so uh, I guess the whole paradigm shift element of this, uh, ironically, almost causes it to be, uh, go under the radar for a lot of people. But, you know, what you mentioned as well about the optionality that a form of money like this uh, allows for, 
And that's why it exists now. You know, of course, I guess there's been times in the past where people would have wanted it too. But as you say, things are getting squirrely in a lot of different places. And I think a lot of people's minds are drifting to consideration like, well, what if? What Mm -hmm. if I've got to find greener pastures somewhere? And to know that you can, you could step on a plane, you know, with just your body basically, and you could, you could manage it so that you could wind up wherever you're going and have your wealth intact. I mean, that level of optionality is going to put so much uh, pressure on the systems of governance that we have around the world today. Um, You know, and, and that, that, the result of that pressure is probably going to be a little uncomfortable for, for a number of people, but just that that option is available is such a, you know, such a rally cry for freedom. And ultimately that's what, that's what this is about in my opinion. Um, Much as, you know, I, I I like uh, my wealth going up on paper or waxing and waning with the, with Bitcoin's moods as much as anybody um, you know, this is really what it's, what it's all about for me. And um so why don't we why don't we break into the piece that you wrote now? I actually I've sent it around a bit. I think it's um, I don't know if you intended it this way, but I think it's one of those kind of quintessential pieces. Um, you know the bull the bullish case for Bitcoin by uh, VJ. Uh, it was one of those pieces. You know Breedlove has had some great ones that I know have been sent around a lot. Uh, but because yours is so kind of topical. Uh, and current around this this idea of big, of uh, companies using Bitcoin as a reserve asset, um, and it does such a good job of explaining your thought process around it and giving you know a description of Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think that's why it's been sent to so many people. And so, when you were writing that, did you you know were you trying to almost almost kind of advertise as well and kind of build the case, or were you just explaining your thought process around it? So I had a couple things. Um, number one, I've been uh, trying to get my, you know, my parents and, and family into Bitcoin, um, not aggressively, um, just, you know, like essentially the, the initial pitch to my parents was like, you need some, right? Like you guys can determine um, how much, you know, the, the, here are the risks. Um, here's why you need it. Um, you, d- you decide, you know, what, what you're willing to risk. And um, I, I tried sending my mom, you know, um, certain pieces and it, it, it's just, it's just difficult, right? Like it, yeah. it, it really is difficult, um, to like, there's, you know, I, I love Robert Breedlove's writing, um, but it just, it can go over your, over your head a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, part of the reason for the blog post was to ha- literally have something that I could friends and family. Yeah. Um, I was actually at hanging out with some friends the other day and, and the topic of Bitcoin came up and I was like, I have a post coming out and I'm going to send this to you. Right. I mean, it's just so much easier for me to send an article than to kind of explain my entire thought process. And then the second motivator was, um, you know, I think it really helps to understand something and um, to w- when you're actually writing it down, it's kind of like that thing where you, you're, you're not really, you can't really be a, a true expert on something unless you can actually teach it. And so um, I also wanted to really put everything on paper um, just to clarify even my own thoughts as to why we're doing this. Um, and I thought it would be great to have something that I could look back on, you know, several years from now Uh, and 10 years from now uh, and and read what I was thinking at the time. Yeah. Um, And did you send that to your friend after you wrote it? (laughs) I did. What was his, their response? Um, So his response was he, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of get it. Um, Then there was, you know, a couple of the, you know, standard arguments about like banning it and, and well, you know, what if, if we have deflation, doesn't that mean that, uh, you know, it's going to be really bad? Um, because again, that, that narrative of, you know, if we have deflation, the world's going to, you know, <laughs> come to an end. Um, and so that, that's another thing of, you know, having to explain that deflation um, can actually be a good thing if, if we embrace the deflation. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of brought about a, a new discussion. Um, but at least it helped um, kind of the, the overall, like, I think he, he, he kind of got the, the, the premise of it a lot better than when we first kind of started uh, discussing it, which, which was helpful. What about your mom? Did she read it? 
So uh, my, yeah, my mom did read it. Um, you know, I love my mom to death. She, she really, you know, she's the, the classic mom that like whatever her, her son does, she's proud of and, and that kind of stuff. And, and she really trusts my, uh, my thinking on a lot of things. So it didn't, to be honest, it didn't really take that much <laughs> to, um, to get her to put some money into Bitcoin. Oh, shit. And, I, and it, yeah, and it's funny because I kept, I said, mom, you need to listen to this podcast episode. You, you need to read this piece. And at some point she just said, Chris, like, I, I trust you. I, I know that, you know, you're, you're a smart kid. Like I'm happy putting in this much and like, you know, I, I trust you. I don't need to read all these articles. Right. Wow. So, nice. um, but, but she did read the article and, and um, you know, I, I think she, she does, she does kind of get the, uh, the, the overall concept of it. Wow. That's great. I wish my, my mom was so uh, understanding. <laughs> um, and what about as you know the decision making around the company? When when did you guys make the move to start accumulating for the company? So we it was really funny because um, the first buy was I think two days before there was like that fifty percent crash in the price. Um, it's always the way it is. Yeah, and and it was kind of that like initial gut check of uh, is, this, is this the right decision? But then right away it's kind of like you know, again, we, we, once you, once you do your homework and you, you really develop that conviction, um, for us, it was like, well, I mean, this is as good of a time as ever to, to start accumulating. Um, and so, you know, we had pretty fortuitous, uh, timing. Um, so it was, yeah, we, we, our first buy was like literally a day or two before the 50% drop. And then we just started, um, you know, accumulating from there. Yeah. I mean, the level, like you said, once you see it, the level of conviction that people in this or that people that see it have is outrageous, you know, like a 50% drop and people are like, yes, like, you yeah. know, back up the truck, let's get it. Whereas, you know, a lot of normal people, if they were just typical stock investors or whatever, they'd be like, Oh my God, this is like, you know, bloody, you know, blood on the streets. It's, this is a horrible outcome. Um, yeah, there is a good chart. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was, it, on one axis, it was like your knowledge of Bitcoin. And then the other yeah. axis was like how much money you put into Bitcoin. And it was just like a straight, you know, vertical line. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely been my um, kind of <laughs> truth throughout my journey. Whereas like, you know, I started out putting in a little bit. And then the more I, I, I learned about it, I was like, shit, you just get super you, bullish on and it. And then you water fast so you can stack more stats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think even for stock investing, like... Um, you know, one of my best investments has been Shopify. Um, and it's, and you look at any stock like Amazon or Netflix, these like, you know, truly, um, you know, great, great companies. I mean, they've all had 20, 30, I think Amazon at, at one point had an 80% drop. So, unless yeah. you, unless you really understand why you're, you're owning these, uh, investments, it's just so easy for people to get shaken out. And the only you know way to to really make a lot of returns is to have that long term time horizon to hold through you know the dips and the downturns and and understand why you're you're holding these investments. Yeah, hundred percent. And so, how does um, well actually how I asked this to the group last night because I as we've just been discussing like once you see it. Uh, your behavior starts to change with Bitcoin. Now, I think this bleeds into a lot of different categories, which I, you know, it's always interesting for me to hear how people change different elements of their lifestyle as a result of kind of going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, their diet, their, you know, how the, their approach to material possessions, you know, relationships, et cetera. But just as far as being kind of consumed with being fully orange pilled, but also having to, uh, build and work really hard to, you know, uh, have your startup be successful, have your company be successful. Do you find it difficult to uh, like kind of sequester, like keep your attention on your business while this big, huge monetary, you know, once in a 5,000 year phenomenon is happening, like, you know, parallel to that? Uh, yes and no. I mean, so the, so the, the reason why we put Bitcoin on our balance sheet was because, um, you know, we got to a fortunate position where um, the, the company has been growing nicely. Um, COVID has actually accelerated our growth and free cash flow has, has been uh, increasing quite a bit. And so, you know, we, we kind of ended up in this position where we have all this cash on our balance sheet. Um, and 
you know, there, there's, you're basically earning nothing on a savings account, right? Um, and with, with the inflation that, that we think is coming, and it's already here if you, if you just look at asset prices, um, you know, we, we got to a point where it's like, you know, we want to make sure that we, we maintain this, uh, you know, the, this purchasing power and, and the time, you know, that we've created through, through our hard work. Um, and, you know, the more we looked at it, that that's kind of how we arrived at that situation, that Bitcoin would be, you know, a great way to do that. Um, but it's, it's interesting being, you know, two Bitcoiners that are running a non-Bitcoin <laughs> business. Um, so the, the way that we're kind of looking at it right now is, you know, Snap it is kind of the vehicle that we can um, use to, uh, you know, Im improve our life. Um, and so that down the road, um, you know, hopefully that, you know, we, we can start using um, more of those resources potentially towards other things. We're actually working on uh, a little side project right now uh, that's more Bitcoin related that we're kind of excited to get out. Um, but I, I'm just happy that, you know, I think Bitcoin is just, yeah, it's just one of these generational things where I think it, it, it offers a way out. It, it offers a really good hedge um, so that all of the hard work um, that we've that we've done over the last few years, um, you know, we, we believe that it's not going to be able to be devalued by, you know, central banks and, and government policies. Yeah, I'm assuming you can't share any details about the little side project. Um, yeah, we can, so it's we're, we're basically it's just kind of a scratch your own itch kind of thing. It, it's not uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, um, but it's basically going to be um, a Bitcoin dashboard and, and price tracker. Um, one thing that we, for, you know, there, there's a, a lot of reasons why, you know, we don't really like using some of the, the other tools, uh, that are available. So it's literally just, you know, if, if I want to look at what's going on in Bitcoin, um, and so we're just going to throw it up there as like a free thing that, you know, hopefully other people will get value from as well. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. Right. You cut out there for a second. You said if, if, if you want to see what's going on with Bitcoin and what? Yeah. So uh, basically, um, the, you know, there's there certain metrics and, and, and charts that kind of I like to look at when, when monitoring Bitcoin. Right. Um, so it's really uh, kind of just like a scratch her own itch kind of fun little side project. Right, right. Um, and, you know, hopefully if, if other people get value from it, then that's great. And we'll see kind of where, where it ends up. Nice, nice. But we're, we're not, you know, putting like the full weight of, of sure. the, the company behind it. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, the other thing we mentioned, Preston Pish, and for anyone listening that hasn't uh, checked out his work at the Investors Podcast and several appearances on all, all the Bitcoin podcasts, I uh, highly recommend you do so. But he's, he seems to have researched this micro strategy move quite a bit, and he, he's obviously very interested in it. Um, and he, if you hear him speak about it, you know, he talks about what a, how big of a lever it could be for them, um, because I think their annual income is only something like 20, 30 million, despite a, a million five market cap or, and, you know, 500 mil or thereabouts uh, cash on their, on their balance sheet. Um, and he was basically saying, you know, they gave reasons for doing this as you have just done, you know, to protect against inflation and for a number of other reasons. But if the narrative plays out as um, many of us think it will, and in your piece you outlined uh, or you referenced um, the stock to flow uh, model and the price that that model suggests, which is 288,000 US per Bitcoin over the next four years, um, and I'm not, I know that that price would be, you know, extremely surprising to some and, uh, and mouthwatering to others. But uh, if that happens to be the case, then MicroStrategy will be in a very strong position to, you know, acquire other assets and companies in the space, to expand their business, to do all sorts of things that, that they wouldn't have been able to do because to, to accumulate that level of, of income would have taken 20, 30 years at current rates. So yeah. it will dramatically allow them to lever up their business. Is that part of the, re the motivation behind you guys doing it as well? So um, I wouldn't say it's the primary motivation, but obviously, you know, so our, our number one thing was we want a hedge. We want to protect our purchasing power. The, the second thing is we're obviously very bullish on Bitcoin. So whether it hits 280, 
$88,000. I have no idea, but um, I, I personally think that um, I think at, at a bare minimum, the stock to flow model holds for at least one other cycle um, because, you know, every, there, there's a lot of people that look at the model and it's like, well, you know, that's historical, like it's priced in, yada, yada. Um, I, I think it, it, it has to hold for one more cycle before people start being like, shit, this is legit. Front, <laughs> and then front, potentially front running we, it and breaking it, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I think, um, and, and the other thing too is, I, I, would, I mean, I have no stats on this, but the percentage of people that probably even know about the stock to flow, uh, stock to flow model who are actually, you know, people that own Bitcoin, I would guess is pretty small, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're kind of a, a small um, niche of people that are just so into this that we're kind of, you know, studying this and, and learning about it every day. Um, but going back to your question, um, obviously, the, the, the second, you know, reason is that we do think the price is going to go up. Um, and so the nice thing with with our tool and kind of our, uh, you know, our abilities is that we do have optionality. So we could, um, you know, acquire uh, other products in, in a similar space. Um, we can invest more into uh, development, into complementary products. Um, we can develop, you know, completely new side businesses and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, when Mark and I first started uh, Snappa and, and it wasn't the first product, our, our primary goal was, was freedom. Like we wanted to be able to create a business that could sustain, um, you know, our, our, our lifestyle um, and, you know, be able to work on things that we're, we're passionate and we enjoy. So if, you know, if Bitcoin hits $280,000, at that point, we have enough money where we could just literally work on whatever we want and probably doesn't matter as much how much money that, that new product makes us. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's, you know, obviously really uh, appealing to us. So it is an exciting prospect that if the stock to flow model does hold, um, then we kind of get to fund uh, additional products um, that we want to see out in the world and that, that we're really about. Yeah. And uh, just kind of like mechanics of, of doing this, how and only share as much as you're, you're comfortable, obviously, but how does a company hold the Bitcoin uh, as a reserve, like, you know, in terms of managing the private keys, et cetera? I mean, I think there's obviously different options. So one option is to go through, you know, some type of custodian. Um, the other option, which we've, we've chosen is to, um, obviously just securely through, through cold storage. Um, you know, we run our own nodes and, and that kind of stuff. Um, don't want to get too much into it, but, um, yeah, like it's, it's securely tucked away in, in, in cold storage. Sure. Um, and you know, the thing with us is it's, it's purely just a reserve. So we don't need to worry about, you know, transferring in and out or having, you know, a hot wallet and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's, it's literally just, Every time we buy, it goes right into cold storage, um, and uh, you know. And in a in a scenario like that, would you use a multi sig because there's obviously you and and a partner instead of you know one one person having exclusive access? Yeah, I mean, ideally, multi sig is is probably the way to go. Um, that being said, like my co founder and I were we're best friends. Um, we we've been in business together since 2012, um, and you know, theoretically. If you wanted to, he can probably uh, withdraw a ton of money, like, you know, U.S. dollars from our bank account and then, you know, flee. <laughs> and then, you know, it would become like a legal course. So it's kind of the same thing where, like, at the end of the day, we're 50-50 we're shareholders of the company. So um, whether it's through Bitcoin or fiat, like if someone wants to, you know, screw over the, the other party, it's possible to do that. Now, that being said, if you, if you don't trust the other if you don't trust your business partner, you could use something like uh, collaborative custody, uh, yeah. like an unchained capital where, you know, one, one director would hold one key, one director would hold the other key. And then you would have like a, a, a third party as, uh, as another uh, co-signer. So that's probably a good way to go. Um, if, if the, uh, you know, if you're really worried about or of, of a business partner. Yeah. And, and again, like I'm not, I'm not asking this to try to pry, but just to understand how this works functionally. So again, you can swerve this if you like, but like, is the Bitcoin actually on the balance sheet of the business or is it 
kind of like a, is it like siphoned off and put into a, a reserve? Cause you know, it, it sounds like the business entity is not holding it. Obviously, you know, you as individuals are holding private keys. So is it on the balance sheet at all? Yeah. So, so, um, so obviously I have like personal Bitcoin that, you know, I'm, or each of us have, and that's kind of our own personal separate Bitcoin that we're purchasing ourselves. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so we'll buy it on an exchange um, through like we're, and we'll sign up as the actual company. Okay. Um, and then, um, that's put on the actual company balance sheet. So the, the Bitcoin that we own through the company is separate from the Bitcoin that we own personally. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, have other companies hit you guys up or you personally, cause you wrote the article, uh, since you've done this asking questions, how to do it, why'd you do it? You know, want to pick your brain, anything like that? Um, I had a, uh, a couple people, yeah, a couple people were like, you know, how are you doing it? Um, how much have you, you know, or what percentage have you put in? That kind how of much stuff. Bitcoin like, do you have? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we're, we're looking to do this too kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I did correspond with, with a few people. Um, but, um, you know, I think, uh, especially with the MicroStrategy stuff, like that, that came out after, you know, we had kind of started allocating to it. But when that came out, I mean, that blew my mind too. just like the amount, um, the fact that they're a public company, the amount that they've actually accumulated. Um, and I was like, you know, more people are going to look at that and saying, you know, should, should we be doing this? And I, I think there's going to be a bit of, you know, FOMO from, from other companies as well. So, yeah. Oh man, I think the, the removal of reputational risk that the, and you mentioned this in your piece, that the Paul Tudor Jones uh, um, allocation and the MicroStrategy allocation will provide is, you know, us Bitcoiners know how big a news is it, it is, but I think it kind of, it's just another one of those things that got a little bit swept under the rug because I've had so many conversations over the years with people in the industry and, you know, they would very smugly oftentimes just cast it aside because it's not in their world. They're like, oh, that's like, that's geek money on the internet. We're into equities and bonds and, you know, whatever. Um, but when kind of like titans of those industries, especially in the case of Paul Tudor Jones, but, mm -hmm. you know, a, lar a large publicly traded company does the same, then you mean they can no longer, you know, call you a fool for even suggesting it because, you know, basically the guy that they idolize is yeah. saying it's a good idea. And so I, I think right now, I mean, who knows what moves the price of Bitcoin in the short term, but I have to think there's a lot of these types of conversations going on in boardrooms and in, uh, you know, in investor meetings. And everyone's probably just scrambling to determine how to do it, when to do it, you know, the yeah. infrastructure, to, the, the needed infrastructure to, to be put in place to allow them to do it. But, you know, if things keep, going the way they're going. I think those two events this year are probably the biggest uh, catalyst for, for these types of conversations and, and growth uh, in adoption of Bitcoin that I can think of. Yeah, I forget who said this, but someone, someone was saying that Paul Tudor Jones de-risked Bitcoin for like the hedge fund industry and then MicroStrategy de-risked it for, you know, owning it as a, as a reserve asset. Totally. And then, you know, I think another piece of news that was pretty big was Warren Buffett buying Barrett Gold. Yeah. Um, obviously, he, he, he didn't buy Bitcoin, but Warren Buffett has always kind of shot on gold <laughs> throughout his career. Uh, so the fact that he's now own, he now owns a, a gold miner, all of a sudden people are like, well, why, why is Buffett getting into gold all of a sudden, yeah. right? And so Bitcoin, I think, is, again, it's one of these things where um, the more people that adopt it uh, causes more people to take it more seriously. Um, and, you know, once they kind of wrap their heads around it and, and really understand it. And like you said, there, there is, um, you know, like in 2016, 2017, you know, even trying to own it as a company was, was more, a lot more challenging than it is today. You, you do have a lot more uh, options yeah. and obviously that's only going to get easier as time goes on. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're not an octogenarian or Peter Schiff, you're going to look at, you know, the, the sound money narrative, the inflation hedge narrative and say, okay, what's, what's on the table here? Okay. Gold, of course, what's this Bitcoin thing. And if you, yeah. if you genuinely, objectively, honestly put them side by side, 
It's almost inconceivable that you could choose gold over Bitcoin. I mean, there's a couple of reasons that you might want to have some allocation, you know, split it up a little bit. But um, those people that just outright dismiss it, I I, I think it's a a generational thing or you've got skin in some other game, as is the case with, uh, with Peter Schiff. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I think Peter Schiff at the end of the day is just, he has bias, right? So there's absolutely no argument that you could put forth for Bitcoin where he's actually going to say, you know what, my entire business that's revolved around gold. <laughs> You're right. Like, I know, but I want to hear him say it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's literally will never happen. Um, even if he bought Bitcoin personally, he would never admit it, right? He just got too much bias. Yeah. And uh, Buffett, again, at, at nine years old, you know, do you, and, you know, amassing his wealth in a is certain Is he 90 system, now? He is, yeah, he's 90 now. Holy shit. Um, so, you know, when you've amassed incredible amounts, amount, uh, amounts of wealth in a, in a certain system, I mean, I just can't see him like going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole at, yeah. at this point, right? So I, I don't put, you know, I think at a bare minimum, if someone really has, um, you know, wants to be cautious about it, you know, maybe they hold some some Bitcoin and some gold. But you're right. There, there's no way that anyone can put the two together and say gold is superior to Bitcoin. Um, really, the only thing that makes the only property uh, superior to gold or to Bitcoin is just the established history. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what city are you in? If you don't mind me asking in Canada, we're in Ottawa, Ottawa. So yeah. I presume there's, I mean, now there's probably less meetups and stuff, but you know, a decent startup uh, entrepreneurial uh, community there. Your peers, you know, I asked you if other companies reach out to you, but just like friends, peers, other entrepreneurs, are they starting to raise an eyebrow to this stuff? Are they, uh, are they inquiring? It was funny. I had um, uh, not someone in Canada, but uh, one of a founder friend who also owns a, a software company that's doing really well right now, uh, but they have investors. So he, um, <laughs> he uh, DM me on Twitter and he was like, man, that was a, that was a badass move. Really like the article. I wish we can do the same. And I said, you know, why can't you? And he goes, oh, well, you know, I don't think the investors will go for it. Um, and I said, well, you know, can you not put like one to 5% or, or, or whatever? And so I think it's one of these things where um, this, this, this smaller or bootstrap self-funded businesses like, like ourselves, where we don't have, a, a, you know, investors or a board that we need to answer to are probably going to be the, the first movers uh, to this. Yeah. Um, and then you know, slowly but surely, I think, uh, I mean, even Jeff, Jeff Booth has talked about this, that, you know, he sits on a few boards and this is an active uh, conversation. So there's no doubt in my mind that, that it will happen. Uh, it's just probably going to be a lot slower than, you know, people like ourselves that uh, don't have a board that we, we need to run it by. Yeah. I feel like there might be a market for a service just to be like a hired gun, like a startup or a small business hires you to be, come in for the board meeting and be like, look, tell them why <laughs> this is a good idea. And you just like show up, you blast them, be like, there you go. You're welcome. Goodbye. And then uh, see what happens. Um, how have you, like you, you mentioned that you started accumulating Bitcoin late 2019, right? Yeah, it was like, like yeah, it was kind of towards the end of 2019, I want to say. Um, so that's, you know, obviously pretty recent, but have you noticed any other, uh, changes in your perspective or your behavior or your habits or routines since going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, having skin in the game, you know, following Bitcoin Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Have you noticed any, you know, changes in how you think or act? Yeah. Um, so I had a big change in myself when, um, so I, I used to work for the, the federal government. Um, so I like complete 180 year. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I also like was investing just, you know, initially through like low, low cost um, index funds. And one thing that I've noticed was, you know, the longer that I've worked on my business, the better our results got, uh, mainly just through, through through patience and time. And same thing with um, investing through even low cost index ETFs. And then uh, I started investing in individual equities, um, kind of 2017, 2018. 
Um, and so the, the thing that I've noticed was just the, the, the power of, of compounding. Um, and even through fitness, I actually wrote an article about this, you know, fitness is a good example where when you start working out, you don't really see the changes like in the first week or two, but if you consistently go to the gym and you're working out, um, you know, three to five times a week and you do that over the course of like several months or years, all of a sudden you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and you're just going to be a totally different person. Um, and it's the same thing with like business is, you know, you, you keep working at it and then you look back five years and it's like, holy shit, you know, look, look at what we've accomplished. Bitcoin takes that to the next level <laughs> because with an index fund, you know, historically you're getting maybe 10% a year, right? Um, if Bitcoin keeps up on its, its current path, you know, you're talking about hundred percent per year. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, something that might take seven years to double, you're talking about every single year potentially. Right. And so now again, it, it just, it, it takes things to the next level where it's like, do I really need to, you know, buy this thing over here? Um, and, and then you just, you really start thinking out longer term. And so I've always been, I've always had a pretty low time preference and, and, you know, thought about the long term. Um, and now it just kind of takes it to the next level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the opportunity cost of everything you spend money on now is so much more amplified in your mind, right? Cause you're thinking like, sure. you know, yeah. this, this could be, well, I mean, you probably haven't been there, but people, anyone who's been in the space, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Like I remember spending Bitcoin, uh, in early 2017 and, uh, you know, 12 months later, whatever that cost me at the time was 20 X the expense, you know, in December, right. Because yeah. of the big run. And you know, that, that, that leaves an impression on you for sure that you better be damn sure that what you're buying is really worthwhile. Cause you know, yeah. the, the cost could be really great. Um, and to that end, like this is something that pops up a lot, but has the nature of your social interactions changed just in kind of how you see the world, um, and the problems that, that you see and the, you know, the solutions that you think would be most uh, beneficially applied to them. Uh, has, has being involved in Bitcoin changed that and has it changed the nature of kind of your social life at all? Yeah. So um, I went to like, I took finance in university with a, with a minor in economics. And as you know, you know, <laughs> we're kind of taught the, you know, Keynesian school, uh, we need inflation. 2% is like, the, the, you know, we need 2% inflation. Uh, <laughs> other, uh, otherwise, uh, the system doesn't work. And so, um, you know, learning more about, you know, what, what is actually causing inflation? Like, what are the, you know, arguments for inflation? Seeing what's going on in the, in the world right now, where we have mandated lockdowns, um, and that's being supported through money printing, which most people don't understand what the costs of, of doing that are. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, the, the system that we have now is punishing the people at, at the bottom the most, um, but they're the least equipped to really understand uh, what's going on. So um, in, in terms of, um, you know, my, uh, has it changed like I, I try not to get too political with with friends and stuff like that, but you know my business partner are obviously like extremely aligned on this. Uh, you know my my fiance were very aligned on this. I've tried to educate my you know family a bit more as to what's going on. Uh, started to kind of be a bit more active on Twitter about some of the um, you know economic stuff. So I, I take it the approach where if someone is curious and someone is interested and they want to learn more or they have questions, I'm happy to uh, have those discussions. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not going to necessarily go out of my way to start like lecturing people and, uh, <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff. So that, that's kind of how I'm approaching it right now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and you, you made reference uh, at the beginning of this chat to uh, kind of the nature of the circumstances uh, in Canada right now. And you, you referenced the optionality that Bitcoin represents and, you know, how how beneficial that is should you ever uh, need or want to relocate. Um, 
you know, the Citadel meme in the Bitcoin space is uh, becoming more and more popular these days and, and more top of mind because a lot of people are finding themselves in situations that are more precarious perhaps than, than they want them to be, you know, and there's, there's crazy shit happening everywhere for lack of a better term. And uh, has that, is that something that you've, you've given consideration to? And if so, where's your, where have you landed on it? Um, so I have a lot of friends who have, you know, that, that aren't, you know, over the, you know, aren't super wealthy and, and they're just doing, you know, regular jobs. And, you know, I love hanging out with them. That they're, they're great people. My, my biggest issue with, I guess, like the Citadel theory is like, I don't know if I want to live in some like castle that's, uh, you know, closed <laughs> off to like the common folk, so to speak. Um, and, and maybe like, I haven't like delved deep enough down that, that kind of Citadel theory. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, the, I recently read the, the sovereign individual and what I want to see happen is, um, you know, I hope we move to a system where nation states or whatever terminology you want to use, um, are essentially competing for, for people and, and, and kind of, uh, treating citizens more like customers and, and actually providing value, right? Like, you know, I, I really hope that we can, you know, live in peace, uh, not necessarily in closed off castle walls, but, uh, and maybe this is just, um, I'm asking for too much here, but, uh, it, you know, I, I think like, like Jeff says, uh, Jeff Booth, like if we actually embrace deflation, right? Um, I think there is an opportunity that, um, you know, we don't have to, uh, you know, go to war. I, I think we can have more peaceful solutions. And I hope that I can still, you know, live with, you know, the rest of my family and, and uh, quote unquote, more, more common folk with, without having to worry about them, you know, burning down my property and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So again, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I, I hope it doesn't come down to uh, the Citadel stuff. Um, so, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my interpretation of the Citadel meme is not necessarily that it's strictly like, you know, put all the Bitcoiners behind a, you know, a steel wall and live, you know, in a, in the good life there and have the yeah. world falling down around you outside. In my mind, it's more like, you know, we're in the stage now where it's more of a personal Citadel consideration. Like a lot of people are moving outside of cities, moving to the a right. rural area, a lot more land, a lot less population density, less opportunity for this chaotic, you know, social yeah. unrest that's happening. And, um, I, you know, I don't see any way to avoid um, turmoil during whatever transition is coming because some, something's got to give, you know, yeah. some over the next, whatever it is, two, five, 10, 15 years, something's got to give. And it's, I, I, I don't see that. I don't see a scenario where that, where that's, you know, as smooth as we might like it to be. And so I think that's the kind right. of Citadel idea because yeah. to your point, I mean, look at us now, a aside from this year, I mean, we're living under this, um, you know, what I would deem highly flawed um, fiat money system. Mm -hmm. But up until a few months ago, you know, most of us lived in cities and it was, they were pretty, you know, relatively peaceful. And of course, it, different places have their problems. But, you know, we, we, we all got along well enough to, to live in close proximity. And yeah. I think in a hyper Bitcoinized future, a future where Bitcoin is the, the monetary wow. standard of the world, that uh, that will be the case again. You know, we'll, yeah. it, it will be able to do that. The transitionary period is the one that I think everyone's thinking about. And yeah whether it actually ends up being citadels of, you know, city states of Bitcoiners, I don't know, but uh, it's a fun, it's a fun meme to play around with. Yeah. I mean, um, if, if the stuff that was happening in the States was going on in my neighborhood, like I'd be getting the hell out of oh, there real fun. quick. Of course. Um, and even so, you know, I was actually supposed to get married last weekend, but we had to postpone our wedding because of uh, COVID-19. So, um, uh, so once we get married, you know, we're planning to have kids and stuff. And, and already I've been wanting to move a bit more outside of the city, uh, just, you know, a bit more land and that kind of stuff. And, you know, working remotely, um, I don't really have a huge need to be right in the city uh, as much as I used to when like I was still commuting to work and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so the personal Citadel definitely resonates to me. Like at this point in my life, um, you know, I really like the idea of being a bit more 
bit more outside, having a bit more, you know, land and property uh, around you um, and, you know, working, working remotely. Uh, I, yeah, there's just, there's just not that need. And if things like really got hairy, then yeah, I'd be, I'd be getting even further, further outside <laughs> of the city or maybe a different country. Who knows? Yeah. Um, what's your, you know, your, the, the article you wrote about, uh, taking Bitcoin on as a reserve asset was, um, was succinct, but I think it covered a lot of ground and, you know, kudos to you for being able to do that in a, in a relatively digestible piece. Um, what do you, what, where do you think we are in the macro landscape of things right now? I know it's a tough question and there's a lot of, you know, differing views on things, you know, looking at the U S dollar economic recovery, you know, inflation, deflation, all this kind of stuff, obviously Bitcoin in the mix. What's your perspective on where we are in the macro right now? Yeah. So funny story. Well, not a funny story. Um, I was at my, my uncle's house uh, yesterday and he, um, he had a construction business, um, which he, he's retired now. So he, he owns a lot of, uh, you know, few properties and stuff, but he has a lot of friends in the construction business and, uh, you know, they're having a really hard time, uh, getting, getting people to work. Uh, and, a, and a big reason for that is, is the CERB, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this on Reddit a lot too, where a lot of small business owners are, are kind of, uh, you know, complaining right now because, you know, they, they can't get people to, to come back to work with CERB. Yeah. And uh, so in the States, you know, now we have a situation where uh, the, st- the stimulus checks are, are, are no more and they're, they're kind of arguing back and forth. And uh, just the past few days, you're seeing some crazy volatility in the stock market. And so I'm wondering, you know, what's going to happen with uh, in, in Canada when the CERB runs out? My personal opinion, and, and this is an opinion that's kind of shared by a few others as well, is that the... Um, when the stimulus runs out, um, I think they're just going to keep getting extended uh, mm-hmm. because that's kind of what, uh, you, know, you, you know, quantitative easing is all it's doing is inflating asset prices. Um, the, the economy isn't just going to come back like a light switch, like, you know, everyone. I mean, I went to the movie theater the other day and it was dead. Like it, it was completely dead, right? Uh, restaurants are, are, you know, much quieter than, than they used to be. So I fear that um, these, these supposedly temporary programs uh, of, of stimulus, I think they're going to keep getting extended at least until the end of the year. And then potentially we could have a situation where they become more permanent. Um, and that is really where I think we're going to need something like Bitcoin to, to offset that. Um, so I think that's... that. I think that's where we're heading. I think obviously there's going to be a lot more uh, money printing, um, a lot more quantitative easing. And I think the, this, this first round of stimulus is just one of many that that's going to come. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. And it's, it's so, I mean, centralized intervention begets centralized intervention, right. Uh, In a, in a vicious cycle all the way down. And it's funny because, you know, and for people, you know, a lot of listeners are in the, in the States, uh, CERB is 2000 bucks a month that you can get in Canada if you've been made, uh, unemployed, uh, by COVID. And, um, and you can also still earn money and still receive your CERB, uh, checks up to a certain point. So as you said, for many people, they're either earning more than they did when they were working minimum wage or part-time before, or the discrepancy between what they could earn and what they are earning uh, through CERB is not enough to motivate them to find work. And the government is thinking like, well, we're going to provide CERB until the economy comes back and those jobs get created again. But they don't realize that the, the, by offering CERB and taking that labor off the market, they're actually, they're actually destroying jobs in the economy and re- making it so that they have, as you said, have to stay on this perpetual drip from the government because those jobs that would have paid them have been destroyed by the fact that they were being paid by the government. I mean, there's so much wrong with it. Yeah. I was going to say the biggest flaw with, with CERB is that to get the check, um, all you have to do is tick a box that says like, I don't have, or, you know, I I can't go back to work or I don't have a job or or whatever the case may be. And there's no sort of like pre-screening whatsoever. Um, 
And so, <laughs> I mean, you can just see like the, the, the abuse that's going to happen. And yeah. so, and, and so imagine a scenario where next year they actually, you know, do an audit and they find, you know, a huge amount of people that could have gone back to work and did have a job. Do you think those people is, is so if the CRA says, Hey, you, you received $2,000 a month for a year when you shouldn't have, you now owe us $24,000. <laughs> like, do you think they, they set aside that money to pay back CRA? <laughs> like it's, there's, there's no way. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with that because I, I think there's, I mean, there will be a, a day of reckoning, but who, who knows what's yeah, going to happen. There, there's going to be so much fraud in the system that they, even the army of people that the CRA is currently hiring is not going to be enough. And, you know, it's causing, obviously, um, a lot of unintended or unconsidered social consequences, one of which is just that I've noticed just by virtue of having conversations with taxi drivers here when I go around and that they're telling me that, you know, people who like drug users, people that are addicted to drugs, that kind of thing. Um, this is, you know, they're flush with, with cash. So before, you know, they would drive like a single drug dealer around to these different places to drop off drugs. And now all the druggies are going, like they're in taxis are going around town. They're going here and there because they got more cash than they've ever had. And, yeah. you know, you, you combine that with, uh, less people in the labor force, small businesses not able to uh, afford or find labor, less, you know, jobs created, less economic activity. I mean, this is the trick. This is the thing that I constantly weigh is uh, I, I try to be careful not to assume that these big kind of tectonic shifts are going to happen faster like cause our minds always kind of go to the end conclusion faster than things actually play out in the real world. So I try to remember that things take time to play out and uh, this will probably probably be drawn out and it won't be one big event. It'll be a slow drip until, you know, confidence is gone. And maybe that takes 10 years. Maybe that takes 15 years. But it's just so hard for me to imagine that things can persist the way they are for that much longer. Because, you know, if you run this forward another six to 12 months, I mean, the economic uh, conditions are going to be impossible to avoid. Uh, the insolvencies from a lot of the small to medium sized enterprises uh, are going to be are going to have happened and will be happening and will be irreversible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of printing that's going to have to be done for the government to try to, uh, you know, fix that problem or put a bandaid on it is going to cause rampant price inflation or rampant asset inflation or both to the extent that the social, uh, you know, uh, conditions that that fosters are going to be so obvious and disruptive. And I think like, I, I can't see a scenario in which that doesn't happen to such a degree that people lose confidence in pricing system, currency, governments everywhere. I mean, I think we'll see government defaults, state level defaults, provincial level defaults, um, or, and cause that would look, that, the optics of that would be very bad everyone's just going to get a bailout and it doesn't matter what your size. But again, that, that puts so much pressure on the confidence in the currency that, you know, it, I feel like it could happen you know, the gradually then suddenly thing, right? I feel like yeah. it could happen a lot faster than maybe those of us who are trying to be conservative with our outlook might, might think. Yeah. I mean, the, um, the real estate market in Canada right now is just, I'm sure there's maybe pockets that, that aren't, but like Ottawa's is, is, been exploding. I mean, Vancouver and Toronto are just like <laughs> out of reach. And, um, you know, my, my fiance is a, a, a seven years younger than me. And so she has people that are, you know, graduating right now out of school and, you know, they're looking for a house and people are put like literally putting, you know, bids 80 grand above asking. Um, I mean, that, that just can't go on forever. Right. Like, mm-hmm. at, at, and, and the worst, you know, the, the, the unfortunate thing is, um, you know, the mortgage rates just keep getting lower, you know, they're printing more money. And so, you know, real estate is just getting more and more out of reach, uh, for, a, for a lot of people. And so, you know, that, that can't go on forever. Yeah. And it's been going on for, you know, for a long time as well, you know, and just seeing everything go, kind of hockey stick right now. Um, you know, like you say, it can't go vertical forever, but the flip side of that is 
I mean, if you, if you're at all savvy at managing it, now's probably a decent time to take on some debt. You know, there might be debt forgivenesses. The, the rates are obviously low in many instances. So now yeah. it depends what you, how you use that, but it's compelling. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought my house, um, nine years ago now and you know, it, it's gone right now is, you know, what 1.3%. Um, and it's, you know, it's just crazy. But the problem now is um, for, for young people, especially that are just starting their careers, just to, get, to save enough money for a down payment is becoming really difficult now because the, the, the house prices are so low. If you, if you have the capital, then yeah, you, it makes sense to take out a mortgage at basically nothing percent and, and have the, the value of your house keep going up. But you know, people thought that in 2008 right. uh, as well. And then you know, the, the actual values of the homes came crashing down. So um, I don't know if I want to be investing in additional properties. This is just my primary residence. So if, if, um, if the Valley crashes, well, so does everyone else on the market. So it, it doesn't really affect me all that much. Yeah. Um, but again, like this is one of these things where when you're artificially playing with, uh, prices and interest rates, uh, there's so many unintended consequences and the market just gets out of whack and it, and it creates a lot of, um, you know, malinvestment and, and, you know, misaligned uh, incentives. Um, and so I, I'm definitely more of a, a free market kind of guy and would like to see the, the you know, the, the market uh, set prices rather than uh, central uh, governing authorities. So totally agree with you, man. I mean, it's just the market for capital, the market for labor, and increasingly the market for other goods is being set by the government. And if the fucking, the, the, one of the most frustrating things about all this is like all this has happened before not on such a large scale but you could there are obvious examples in history where many of these things have played out and they you know they just don't end well ever um but whether it's a historical blindness or just simply you know the imperatives of the system that uh, that we currently operate under kind of make it unavoidable but it's um got Thank God there's, thanks Satoshi, there's Bitcoin because uh, that, that just provides such a huge source of optimism for myself. And I know, I know a lot of others. Um, Chris, this has been super fun, man. I, I appreciate the time. Was there anything uh, you wanted to, any closing thoughts or anything you want to share before we shut this thing down? Uh, not really. Uh, I mean, I've, yeah, I've just been um, super impressed with, with just the Bitcoin space in, in general. And I think there's just so many great people that are, you know, educating and, and, and working on this thing. And, you know, my hope is that uh, we, I just, I hope Bitcoin just leads to a more prosperous and uh, future and we can have uh, free markets <laughs> again. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just keep doing what you're doing and, and uh, you know, big, big, big fan of the pod. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And for people um, that are looking for, for in your position, at the helm of a company uh, looking for the, a resource to kind of, you know, start making the case for using Bitcoin as a reserve. Do you have like one or two that you would direct them towards that you, you really got, you know, value or benefit from? Um, are you talking more like the, the mechanics of it or just kind of the thought process behind it? The or? thought process. So like if they're yeah. approaching a board, if they're making a case to investors. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why. Other than your piece. Yeah. 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 So if you, if you go to chrisgimmer.com and just click on articles, uh, you'll see it there. It's it's the most recent one. Um, I would also highly encourage uh, them to read uh, MicroStrategy's press release. Um, I even quoted a few paragraphs in in my own article. I think they, um, you know, they did a, or Michael Saylor did a really good job to articulate uh, the reasoning and the, and the rationale behind uh, why, why they've adopted that. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would, I would say those are the two, two good resources. And if anyone wants to hit me up on Twitter, it is C Gimmer. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. And uh, kudos again for, for the piece that you wrote. I think uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of it, both, you know, kind of from the business side of things and just, uh, personal investors that are looking to understand this thing a bit more. So thank you for, for the contribution. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future, but until then, best of luck with everything and uh, take care of yourself. Thanks, man. It was fun. All right. See you, brother.
Oh, 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 oh.